I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guests, the crew of Sing Me a Story with Belle. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. Hello, I'm Alan Silberberg, and I was the head writer. Uh, uh, I guess I was the head writer of the show. Absolutely. I'm Patrick Davidson. I was the executive producer of the show. And uh, I'm Steve Purcell, and I was the director of the show. So we got like the craziest amount of talent on this call right now, which is awesome. So thank you guys for being on the show. I'm like one of those kids that grew up watching this TV series that was on Disney Channel. And can the three of you kind of describe what Sing Me a Story with Belle was for those who in our audience who might not be familiar with the show? Uh, I'll, I'll take it um, <clears throat> since I developed it and pitched it. Um, Basically, Sing Me a Story was derived, was a, the conceit was, what would Belle do after she married the prince? And the theory was she would go down to the village and take over the bookshop. Uh, that's Belle and Beauty and the Beast. And uh, so we created an artificial environment, a set designed by the incredible Jimbo Marshall, uh, where kids could come in and Belle would tell them stories uh, kind of moral tales that Alan would write and Steve would direct. And um, in the middle of those stories, she would use a song to demonstrate what she was talking about and uh, to uh, explain the story. And the animation for the songs was taken from the Disney library, the existing animation library that went back to the 30s. So... Uh, one person who isn't on the call is Andy Belling, who wrote and re and, and the songs because he rewrote lyrics to match the animation and music to make it all fit together. So it was a preschool show uh, designed specifically for kids. It was on the Disney Channel. And um, that was a conceit. Jump puppets. in and amplify. Puppets, puppets. Yes, the puppets, the, the, the incredible Lewis and Carol, who, by the way, uh, have have gone to puppet heaven. They finally disintegrated. <laughs> they used they used to be behind me in my office and my grandkids would play with them and they just absolutely disintegrated. They were these foam puppets. And I will tell you that the genesis of Lewis and Carol was because I was sitting in my office with these two guys and, and Alan, who was the writer said, we need something else other than just kids and Belle, because Belle has to be able to relate to others. And uh, we need some place for her to go. And we came up with the idea of doing puppets. And I remember distinctly saying, well, that's a neat idea. What are we going to name them? And Alan starts walking around my office and picks up a <laughs> deck of cards. And on it, it said, it, and it was, it was Lewis, it was cards from um, Alice in Wonderland. That's right. And yep. he said... He said, oh, let's name them Lewis and Cut Carol. And literally, that's, <laughs> that's how right. Lewis and Carol were named. And they were bookworms. They, they were bookworms. Very good, yes. Yeah. And speaking of book, that's who, who was over my shoulder. That's Big Book. And he was another an character on the set. And the fourth one was a cat named Harmony. Yeah. And uh, that, gave, that gave Belle much more interplay than trying to just relate to the kids. And I'll finish that story with saying after we shot the first show, we shot the pilot, I presented it to Disney. They thought it was great with one exception. They sat there and said, we, we never knew there were going to be puppets. <laughs> I don't know. I, that. 
<laughs> I didn't know that story. Because <laughs> I had never told them. And uh, they were not happy about it. Although an inter- another person in the room said, well, think about it. That's the only thing on this show that would be new that you could license. Uh, and so they thought, oh, that's a good thing. Anyway, so that, that's, that, that's the puppets. And I seem to recall, like, the idea of this big talking book would tell the stories. And creatively, we were brainstorming to come up with what would be a great name for the book. And I don't know who said it, but it was like, let's just call it Big Book. It's <laughs> like, yes, that's fine, Big Book. So, so, Alan and Steve, how did you guys join the project? Well, I had known, I'm sorry, Steve, I just jumped right in. Yeah. I, I had known Patrick for years, having been the head writer of the Mickey Mouse Club, which he was also one of the creative producers on. And, oh, I just remembered, I, I, you hired me at the Disney Channel to, after the Mouse Club to do Sebastian's Caribbean Jamboree. So Another one I love. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, oh, oh my God. We, we had the cast of that on the show my first year I did the podcast, like 10 years ago. <laughs> well, I did not know that. Well, so Patrick and I had stayed in touch and I had moved to Los Angeles and we hadn't seen each other in a while and he called me and said, I have this weird idea. Do you want to come? have a coffee. And you know, I drove uh, over, over the mountain and into the valley and uh, brought my iced coffee. And there was a, a, a younger, but equally as handsome Steve Purcell. And the three of us met, for, well, I met New Patrick and we met and Patrick told us about the show. And I thought it'd be really fun to, at that time I had a barely one-year-old and it was like, oh, a preschool show. Yes, that would be so great. And that's how I came into it. Um, well, I similar in a similar way. I had, I had known Patrick for a while, and we had worked on. Um, he had hired me as a director. I was actually an editor before um, being a director, and I'd worked with Patrick in that capacity. And then actually, Patrick gave me the opportunity to direct some of the first projects that I did. And we did Sebastian's Caribbean Jamboree. Um, Sebastian's Party Gras, we did Rock and Toontown and stuff like that. Um, and so this was a really unique project in that it wasn't, it had a lot of really interesting components. That is, you know, as, as Patrick mentioned and Alan mentioned, it had the puppets, it had music, it had animation, it had um, story and a cast, and it was kind of shot sitcom style, which was, um, you know something that I really hadn't done before, but um, and 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 Patrick really pulled together a talented crew. I mean, Alan was great. It was a complicated. It was kind of a complicated show to do because it wasn't just this one, you know, one thing. Um, and Patrick mentioned Jimbo Marshall, who was um, the art director, who really gave it the look and the the uh, built in an amazing set. Um, and then the cast was great. So it was, it was really, um, it was an exciting project to be a part of and really not one that, um, you know, you know, and since then, I think, I don't know how many years ago this was, it was probably 30 years ago we did this, but I really haven't been a part of another project that had all these, these similar components and was, um, you know, and, and, and a great crew. We, we really had a lot of fun and we shot, we shot half of the season, I believe in, uh, Orlando, and then we shot the other half of the season uh, in Los Angeles, and it was just, um, you know, we had we had puppeteers and we had music, and um, Andy Belling wrote the songs. It was it was a it was a very interesting 
um, sort of hybrid of television show from a director's standpoint. So that's that's my bit of the puzzle. There are actually two seasons. First season in Orlando, and then a hiccup, and then the second season in L.A. It must have been difficult with the story plots, because, Patrick, I remember we had spoken a couple months ago, and I was telling you that as a kid, my dad was a projectionist, so he had 16 millimeter of the cartoons that are featured in this show. So I'd seen the original cartoons, and then seeing them again in this show, it, it, they were taken in like a different. Sometimes there were things cut out of them, or they were shortened to to fit the the you know the thirty minute segment that you guys had of the entire show. So you kind of have to craft these stories, these lessons around the cartoons. So what was that process like to go through the collection of Disney cartoons from way back when? Uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, because it was it was not just the cartoons in their in their original state it was how we could modify them so for to to fit the story so to back up one step in this and that is when i pitched the show to the studio to eisner and those guys and that room of 20 executives um i showed them uh, an old 1930 beautiful piece of animation uh the ugly duckling which is truly a Disney classic. And I showed him that and said, okay, here's what we're going to do with it. And then I showed it to him again, the exact same animation with a completely different soundtrack with a song set that, that was, if I remember correctly, baby, you were born to honk. And, and that became, and Eisner absolutely lit up. And of course the room did, oh my God, we can repurpose the library. And then I showed him the set and a bunch of other things. But that became, that was an example of you took something that was, I mean, when they did the original animation, which is the ugly duckling about this, you know, literally this, this odd out of, out of, out of sync duck that joins the family. Well, we went back to the original, what was the genesis of that story? And so that's what the animation represented. So we would look at all of the, all of the, the animated pieces and say, what's the, what's the story we're telling here? And and because typically they're 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 more they're moral tales they're fables, and so how can then we relate that to a kid? This is where all Alan and his team came in, really Alan, and how do we bend that around and make that fit? And then we would assign to Andy, okay, now we need a song with this animation that fits this story. I mean, it, as Steve says, it, it was incredibly complicated, really fun, but quite a creative puzzle and, and you needed all the components here to make it work. So uh, we knew the library. Uh, I had been the executive in charge of development for the Disney Channel. And one of the very first things I did was we <laughs> digitized the entire library. So because um, we were doing at that time a thing called um, it was a ripoff of Funniest Home Videos. It was, I don't know, we took Disney I don't know we did took the Disney animation and put it out there, but as a consequence, I got to learn the library is the point. I, I knew what was out there. And then and Andy, who is on the call, is a Disney junkie. I mean, he was a total fanatic of Disney, so he would know much of the animation. So long answer to a simple question. Alan, did you like that challenge then to kind of craft the storytelling? Oh, I loved it. You know, it was I love it was a hard job. I mean, it, I I was thinking back before this call. There were 
especially on the Orlando side, I remember quite a few nights staying up pretty late into the night in my hotel room trying to bang out a script because some of the pieces wouldn't fit. And we wouldn't realize that until it was, a, you know, later than we would like. But what I loved about the challenge was because not only did we have to look at this original animation, we also had to think of how are we going to create a story around the moral tale, as Patrick said, that fits Bell, that fits the bookshop, that fits kids coming in to ask questions and sit around and sing. And it... it it was a real challenge, but a storytelling challenge that I, I kind of liked. And Steve, how would you hop in on this process when, when they're crafting the episode itself? You know, I, I would sort of come in. Um, it was, you know, it was really Patrick and Alan um, that um, would do all the legwork to kind of get it on its feet. And then I would, um, I would come in, you know, obviously before we'd shoot and we'd kind of go through the script and I would go, Really? That's what we're going to try and do. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, um, but it was, it was really, um, so I would get involved in the editorial of it in cutting the uh, animation together and marrying it to the, um, and we also had other editors as well, but that was sort of what I was bringing to the party initially. Um, you know, I had a lot of experience editorially. And so um, I would, um, you know, I would take what, what they had put together and and their concept and um, and then start looking at the pieces from the animation, the music um, that we had, and and then you know figuring out how we were going to shoot it. Um, and so it was, but it was really at the point that it got to me, the task was to okay, how do you how do you make this into a half hour show? And so um, you know it was, um, but it was it was really a. It was really a gift because you don't often get, you know, one of the things, and I don't, you know, I don't want to overly pat Patrick on the back, but one of the things that I always found in doing shows with Patrick is, is especially like even when we did Sebastian's Caribbean Jamboree, Jamboree, it wasn't just a concert. He was always open to like saying, okay, well, let's see how we can take this to another level and see how we can do something different. And we had Sam Wright come in and we took animation and Alan, you were involved with that as well, right? Yeah, you were. Yeah, so that was kind I, of. I did the script. I did the script for that. Yeah, so that was kind of. Jeff Zimmer, Jeff Zimmer first, and I did the script. Yeah, that, that was kind of the first time that we tried something where we actually we had a concert that Sam Wright, who was the voice of Sebastian in, in The Little Mermaid, um, and um, and then we we took animation we took Sebastian animation out of the Little Mermaid and then we had Sam revoice that and it, it was kind of a complicated thing but it but it worked out really well and and as I recall and Patrick I think gave this to me there was a a handwritten note from uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg saying how much he liked the show and we thought well maybe we're onto something here and I'm not sure if that really spawned what happened with. Um, sing me a story, but there, there were elements of that 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 definitely sort of, um, you know, had that we had in sing me the story. So it's interesting. The 
the quality of the material that you guys are working on is wonderful, what you're putting out there. And it's not talking at the kids. It's stimulating these children to think and question things and read. You know what I mean? It's encouraging them to to really look for information and to learn from lessons. And I love the part at the end where they would always suggest different books to read because I was such a big reader. I would go to the library and be like, oh, they have this specific book that's kind of like similar to the theme of, of the tugboat with a little toot. And, you know, I was just always so excited to do something like that. And and when I talked to Lindsay when we were texting, who plays Belle, she said that she was lucky to go on that tour during the show where she would actually go from city to city to read stories to the children and meet with them. So you have this whole educational aspect that's coming into play with the show. And I think we're really missing that in TV nowadays because children really like to be challenged. You know what I mean? It gets them to think and gets them to use their imagination. And that's what your show and these other concerts have done. I'm very flattered. Thank you. Uh, I, had, I had two young daughters at the time and who both loved to read. So that was that was part of it as well. And I had. Uh, yeah, so I'd come off of producing the American Teacher Award. So having worked with a lot of teachers. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was a book. And that was the thing. It was a book. It was a, we were in a bookstore. And so we got to celebrate the books. I was looking at the Wikipedia. It said the bookstore was in France, and all of our kids seem to come from Orlando. But <laughs> <laughs> it's an international city. I mean, I actually, uh, yeah, Linda Wolverton wrote the original film, and she did a phenomenal. The book, it's amazing. I mean, you know, the, the Beauty and the Beast story has been around forever, but she really put it in Belle's hands, and which was great. And um, I actually went to New York and tried to get the woman who was on Broadway. Uh, to do the, the TV show, and I'm drawing a blank on her name, I'll think of it in a minute, and she wanted to do it, but I just couldn't work the schedule out, obviously, and this was like a major, major star, so, and Lindsay, we auditioned half of Los Angeles to find Lindsay, and we went around, and, and we, every bell in the park, we met with, every, and I mean, I, I wanted forever, and finally, uh, I actually got a call from an agent saying, I found her, I found her, I found her, and uh, she showed up and uh, she was blonde and she was, but she was so, within a minute, you realized this was Belle. It was great. And she really was. And she, she, <laughs> it was not an easy job for her doing that, doing that role. Uh, she was had to corral kids on the set and, you know, keep the focus going and uh, work really long hours. And she was also trapped in the park. She couldn't. <laughs> She couldn't go to the commissary because she was in wardrobe. And so we had to bring her food to the set uh, because God forbid two bells would show up in the, in the commissary the set, or somebody in the park would see her. So there were all kinds of logistics to it uh, that, you know, kind of impacted how it was done. Um, we, we were all living in Orlando. We were in a hotel to do the show and I remember Alan was probably in another state his room was so far away from where the rest of us were in the hotel that we would have to call him ahead of time to come meet us uh, but yeah but we it created a you know it was really an, a culture of crew that created the show Alan did the Mickey Mouse Club on that set on that stage as you know and mm -hmm. obviously we did sing me a story which which adds another element because the whole time you're doing it you have an audience going by above you. Mm, yes, they're watching you guys film. 
yeah so you know the old you know you 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 have to look where you're looking and and all that it also just as an aside it impacts uh doing contracts with talent because they are actually on the set of a live show uh Mm. so when you're signing children and adults to perform uh, you have to build that into their contract that, oh, by the way, they can be on a stage with an audience going by while you're shooting the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a little complicated. Wow. I didn't even think of that because that, that was the catwalks were a part of the original backlot. Oh, tour. yeah. So oh, yeah. And, until they kind of closed that out. I don't know when that happened. I think like 2001, something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. So that was, so the first year was at the studios, MGM studios. Yes. And then the second season was in LA. Yeah, we did it. We took a soundstage, kind of cramped everything in into Burbank to do the second round. Yeah. And I know you guys were crazy busy with the show, but did you ever have a time where you could go out and like ride a different ride, great movie ride one day and star tours another day? <laughs> After three years of doing the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> where I would like we had a rule on my writing staff if it's your birthday we ride Space Mountain if it's this we go and and you know do Dumbo so I was I was ride it out but the fireworks I remember doing a dinner where we we um, were in that hotel that overlooked the best vista for the fireworks it was quite lovely speaking of um Fireworks. I mean, just on a technical level, one of the things that I remember from shooting on that stage is, one, if there were fireworks, we'd have to stop shooting because, you know, they were sound stages, but sort of, you know, (laughs) you know, it was really not they weren't really soundproof. So if there were fireworks, we'd have to stop shooting. If there was, you know, the three o'clock thunderstorm that would typically happen in Orlando, we'd have to stop shooting. And it was like, really? Come on. But then when we moved to L.A., we had a we were on a soundstage and there was some air conditioning issue. And we had to run these. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, those, those, those big duct tape. I mean, big air conditioning ducts that yeah. had to go in the door, which then made the soundstage not a soundstage anymore because all the doors had to be open to these air conditioning units that were the outside. So anyway, that's just sort of some technical stuff that was irritating yeah, that to me. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell right. one story that may have to be cut out, but I want to tell the story when we were shooting in Orlando and I've never seen Patrick freak out, but this was cause he's a very calm man. But during a lunch break, we were filming our show next to a stage that was doing, uh, I don't know if it was WWF, whatever it was, it was wrestlers. They were, you know, like these pro wrestlers. And we came back from break. And we thought it would be funny to record Bell with all the wrestlers reading them a story. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Patrick saw that we had done that. And just like, and thank God it's, it's, it was then because now it would be on everybody's phones. But he destroyed every tape that existed of it. He, it was, we yeah. got a scolding, I seem to recall, and because we had to protect the brand. But it was yeah. such a great visual, Belle, with all these big, huge, burly wrestlers listening she to She loved story. it, too. Very good. Very good. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. No, I, I the, you know, the, the brand had been beaten into me, having been, you know, at Disney for so long. And Belle was, was, was the brand. I mean, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was. By the way, Alan, as an aside, the hotel you were in was the Contemporary Hotel. 
for the fireworks. <laughs> and the reason it was a contemporary hotel is it was kind of like their version of Big Book. They couldn't figure out what to name it. So the whole time they were developing, it was referred to as the contemporary hotel. So when they owned it, then when they opened it, they just called it the contemporary hotel. <laughs> Perfect. And speaking of the wrestlers, was there ever discussion of having celebrities on the show? Because another show similar in in educational style was Adventures in Wonderland, which I think ended right around the time you guys began. And they had stars on the show as well, too, who would sometimes just come in. Willie Nelson and Gilbert Gottfried and that type of thing. But was that ever discussed? They had a bigger budget. Um, and, um, they were also, I think, shot that show in LA. I don't think they shot that in Orlando. So the trick there is to get talent to do that. Plus remember again, if I brought Willie Nelson on the set, I would have to pay him to have a live audience walking above him. So anyway, it, 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 and, and we talked about it a little bit. We, we did have guest people show up. I remember, remember the guy who showed up as guest on. Which was this, which is this bizarre character. Um, and, uh, and actually, I've, I've been contacted by family members of some of those people asking me for copies of the tapes of the show because their grandfather or their father was in it. Uh, so we had, guests, we had guest appearances by other characters from the culture. Um, and, uh, but again, the star was Belle. And... The kid, our audience, quite frankly, didn't care about seeing a star. You know, yeah, I'd have to bring Mr. Rogers on, you know, so it just, it, it really, it, it just didn't, it didn't fit, I don't think. I will tell you on a side, if you want, you can cut this out too, but when Alan was doing the Mickey Mouse Club, um, I remember uh, they were done for the day and the kids were exhausted and they were ready to leave. And I said, no, you have to, I have somebody I want, I think you want to meet. And they were kind of reluctant. But when I walked on the set with Michael Jackson, they were more impressed. And he was uh, in the park. Uh, he was a Disney fanatic. And um, he was very gracious, talking to the kids, very wonderful. And I remember afterwards sitting in my office and looking out, and the tour bus went by, the tram tour of the park. And it was completely empty except for one guy. And that was Michael Jackson sitting in the tram by himself with the guy doing the spiel. And it seemed to me so sad that he experienced that by himself. But anyway, and, and they did meet and, and yeah, so that, so yes, I know that the idea of using the Disney's desire to use stars, but the, oftentimes there were more constrictions, restrictions, and we could make it work. Well, I, I loved the puppets. I think like sometimes the puppets were some of the most entertaining portions of the show. So big book and you have uh, harmony, the cad and Lewis and Carol as the bookworms. So with that coming into play, is that make it a little bit more difficult when staging things and making sure that camera angles are done in a certain way, not to def defeat the illusion. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> you know, aside from the other components of this, you know, some of the, some of the puppets stop, we shot green screen, so they'd have to be composited into the set. Lewis and Carol were shot green screen. Big Book was practical. Um, and, but yeah, so that was, that was just another, really, you know, from a television, shooting a television show standpoint, we had just about every kind of element that you could throw at it. But I think that that's what kept it interesting. And I think it was, um, you know, when you think you've got animation, you've got, 
music, you have puppets, you had great set, you had, you know, it was, it was really, it was, um, yeah, having the puppets was just a, you know, just part of the stew that we were putting together, but it was that they were a great component. Well, from a writing standpoint, they were so, like, you could always go to the puppets, and you could always write jokes for the puppets, because the kids, the kids we would bring in, like, Lindsay had no one to do lines with, because the kids, you know, they had, like, a two-line, gee, Lindsay, what, I have a problem at home, you know, like, it was very simple, but the puppets gave us a chance to, like, do really silly gags. And, you know, we were we were having fun just kind of writing for ourselves at some point because if we could laugh, we knew the kids would be laughing. Yeah. And uh, two things on that. One is I learned this from Steve. <laughs> because the puppets were green screen, Lewis and Carol were green screen, we had to shoot what are called plates, which is the background behind it. But Steve wouldn't just do it still. It had to have candles in it. It had to have some life in the shot. So we were always running around lighting candles to do the back play. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that the, the voices of Lewis and Carol and Big Book and Harmony. Harmony was Jeff Conaway, who was anyway, and he was on the set, which makes it a lot easier. But so he would like be curled up behind a trunk or something. And he's also manipulating Harmony while he's talking, which was really difficult the voices of lewis and carol and big book uh big book and lewis uh the, the voice is jim cummings who happens to be a friend of mine and is probably the top voice character voice in hollywood it certainly was at the time uh he's you know he's he's legendary jim is absolutely legendary and for carol we kind of like Bell, we auditioned and auditioned and auditioned, and finally, because they kept sending his tapes to Orlando, we kept saying, no, that isn't right, that isn't right, no, 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 and then they sent us one, and we went, wow, that sounds great, she's terrific, and I remember the, the agent saying, well, understand, that's her voice, she's not acting, that's her natural, this kind of squeaky high voice, and so, we, you know, she was, we hired her, it was, she was great, and a few years later, she was she was Babe in the in the in the movie Babe, and her career took off. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, and Jim Cummings not only is an amazing voice, he has perfect pitch. So all the songs he would just walk in and sing, just magnificently, and uh, an incredible talent, really, really talented. So. I, if I were on the show, I would have been like in love with that set because just gorgeous. Like that's the type of library I would like in my house because <laughs> it's just so spacious and oh, I love books. So every time I would see like an episode because it is pretty stagnant, that is the set, you know what I mean? There's no going outside or anything like that, but it's so, so textured that you, you it doesn't even matter because you're like, you're in a library, you're in Bell's library. It's just amazing. So what was your favorite part of the set that you guys liked the most? That's, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, it, Patrick mentioned Jimbo Marshall. And one of the things that, um, you know, we have to give really all the credit to Jimbo and he's, uh, he's no longer with us, but you know, he really understood Disney. He really understood um, the whole culture and um, one of the things that I remember is that, um, you know, we would have to create these little areas that would feel like part of the whole set, but they would be sort of self-contained. And I remember 
Jimbo had this idea of doing a, a balcony or sort of a second story that wrapped around, which created all kinds of problems because it made the set higher. And, you know, and then so then it was my role to which I, I loved the idea. And I would have to go to Patrick and come up with all these justifications of why we needed it, because if we didn't have this balcony, we'd be shooting off the set and there would be a whole, you know, and, you know, but but it was it was great to um you know, I've worked with a lot of art directors, but but Jimbo really had a unique sensibility and a and a and a real awareness of the whole Disney culture. He worked on, you know, I mean, he worked in Orlando and worked on all kinds of Disney things. So it was it was really a a treat to have that set because it wasn't like a you're on a sitcom set where you've got the couch in the front door and that's all you got and the staircase that goes up nowhere. It was it gave it a lot of really nice had great texture. And like Patrick said, we'd always have candles burning and, you know, it was really um, a rich environment to shoot in. I did like the window seat because there was a lot of harmony. What, what happened, which I thought was lovely is Jeff, Jeff and Lindsay just became really tight. And I, I just loved writing these little scenes for the two of them to be like together on the window seat. Well, I guess that would be mine. Got, yeah. We, you know, and then we, and it also gave the run up to the seat, you, you see the above, that a tier above, yeah, and uh, it gave some movement to the show too, because otherwise we kind of got, you know, stuck in the in the in the couch, in the kind of the love seat couch at the center, and so um, and there was a stairway on the right, yeah. So, but you know, Jimbo, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing from my standpoint was I just talked to Jimbo and said, "Here's what I'm thinking of doing." what would you do with the bookshop? And he, and he created that. There was no input to Jimbo. He created that entire environment. Why was there a decision not to continue after the third season? Um, well, I can't. I, I remember just distinctly the lunch when I was told they weren't going to do another season. Uh, that was not a big hit. Um, the show came out of the fact that, if you take it even a step earlier, there was a lot of pressure at the time on the networks and the studios to come up with quality shows for kids. There was a lot of junk on television. And so that's the assignment I was from. Come up with something that is comes from the Disney culture, but has some quality, you know, really meaningful stuff. And, and I mean, I'm so flattered the things that you're talking about the show as a viewer that we didn't know. We were just making a show and it really resonated. Um, so that was a big push. Uh, to do that. In fact, I went to the White House and met with Barbara Bush and talked about that. Um, anyway, so that was what we pitched then. That What came out of that was Sing Me a Story. Two years later, eh, we're on to another thing. And that's the, the curse of working for a studio uh, is that sometimes they're very short-sighted. And um, if you think about and and so I agree with you. I, I we already had a third season. In my, I already had a third season in my head. What we were going to do and the stories and the animation, and everything else. And they said, no, nope, it's not. It's not really doing well in syndication. You know, you compare our numbers to Regis and Kathy Lee or something. I mean, you know, there's there's no comparable. We were on a different mission, but you know, it wasn't generating a bunch of money. And they said. We'll go on to something else. I think the songs, <laughs> I, I just want to talk about Andy for a second. Because, you know, at the time, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, you know, we had a one-year-old, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old while I was doing the both of the seasons. And, like, we would sing those songs 
we had a DVD, you know, the bootleg DVD that we, you know, of all of Andy's songs. And they, we would just sing, like Bath Time, we would just sing through the whole list of them. They were great songs. I'd love to hear them again. I, yeah. I think that would they be were, great. Yeah, he did a tremendous job producing those songs. I mean, it, it, he, he put his heart and soul into them. And he, yeah, he cre there's an album of all of them. It, it's an overused phrase, but I think it would be safe to say this was a labor of love. We all really... Both we enjoyed the show. We enjoyed working together. There was other than the other than the than the muscle guys on the set. There were very few riffs. <laughs> there were very and sometimes I mean I remember, you know, we'd be shooting puppet green screen till eleven o'clock at night, and I and Steve I know has a picture somewhere. Be falling asleep on the set, which I was notorious <laughs> of doing, and just like I mean, you're just exhausted. You're just, just but but it, it, but to get all the pieces of the puzzle right. You needed to spend the time. And it wasn't just, we just didn't rush through it. So They're so exciting and fun that people do just come back to watch them on YouTube because they enjoy it so much. And, you know, that's that's the magic of what you guys have done, which is, it, it's just brilliant. So I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I will speak for myself in saying, like, I thoroughly enjoyed it as a kid. And it always was something prevalent because later, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in Walt Disney World... In the early 2000s, they finally gave Belle her own show, and she would tell the story of Beauty and the Beast, and she would bring kids up on the stage to dress up as the different characters in the castle. So I always thought, was that something stemmed from what you guys did? You know what I mean? To, to bring back, you know, that, that magical sense of being able to, to learn a story and, and, and sing a story with Belle. So I always wondered that. <laughs> of course it was us. We're Sounds genius. like residuals are in yeah, order yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan's waiting for a check. <laughs> Every day I go down the stairs. It's just not there. <laughs> well, I have three Disney-themed questions I ask to every guest who is on the show. So uh, I call them the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what was your favorite film Disney film to see in the movie theater? Well, for me, it was Mary Poppins. I just have to go right to it. I'm, I'm going to go with Alan. Yeah, I hate to wimp, but I'm, I guess I would say the same thing. It, it, and probably, it's, it's, to a degree, it's our generation, too, of um, their, their windows of Disney, Disney films, but yeah. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? I get asked this all the time. <laughs> I'll go with Mickey. I'll go with Mickey. Bravo. Bravo. Um, I'll go with the um the sort of psychological answer of Roger uh, Roger Rabbit because I think I would want to kill him but we would be good friends that way. I don't know, maybe Doc because I'm such a curmudgeon about things. So uh he had, a, he had a different perspective, I, and that's just that's just pulling something out of my ear. I don't know. I, these are these are tough questions. You, you, can, we, can I come back to you? Yeah, can we get back to you? <laughs> sure <Part> thing. <laughs> and fix finally, it, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, our Mickey question: If I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Patrick. <laughs> Why me? I'm drawing a blank here. I'll, t I'll tell you a story about Disney stories in a minute, but let me think. Um, I'll go with hi-ho because I'll steal it before Patrick remembers it. 
because he said Doc, so it made me think of it. What was your second choice, Alan? <laughs> uh, we need one. Uh, spoonful of sugar. I'll go with that. Would, Did he sing I'll a song back. in Steamboat Willie? He just whistled, right? Whistled. Yeah. 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 I'll take he, that. Uh, yeah. That's a song. Um, I'll go. I'll go back to your prior topic, and I'll go feed the birds. I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show to talk about Sing Me a Story with Belle because, again, it was such a special place in my heart and I had so many questions about what was going on on set because there's no behind-the-scenes footage of you guys making it. Usually they used to do something like that. So thank you for answering all these hard-hitting questions about being a part of this wonderful project. It's like one of my favorites. Well, thank you for bringing us together. Um, I haven't seen... Alan in forever and uh, Steve, we've, you know, we've gone our separate ways too, to a great extent. And, uh, but it was, it was really a treat and it was fun remembering this stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a remarkable mutual experience. It was great. It was, it, these guys, it was easy to pitch the show, but <laughs> when I walked out of the room and they loved it, I said, now how the hell are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it was like, okay, I get it. I get the pitch, but like, what the hell are we going to do? And by, and knowing that we have collaborated so many times before really made it, it made it possible. And they brought so much. It wasn't just, okay, this is what you pitched. It's kind of what Steve said, how do you, how do you make it better? How do you add to it? How do you really make it a rich experience for the, for the kids? So it was great. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, we enjoyed this. Cause music is the language, the very special language. Music is the language we all share.